Well, the UK budget that wasn't a real budget turned out to be far more reaching than most budgets and the markets didn't like it very much. We'll look at why and the follow-through consequences of it all. And if you want more action in Europe, well, it was the Italian general election yesterday. We know that it will show a lurch to the right, but how far? Well, we will find out in the next few hours as those results come in. This week, well, some inflation numbers are around. They're pretty important right now. And what is the next step in Ukraine? The votes are in. Russia can claim territory. What happens when Ukraine and the West steps over the line. Oh, happy days. It's Monday, the 26th of September, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the most action on Friday, uh, perhaps not surprising, was in the UK. The pound fell almost 3.6%. That's almost 5% in a week. Ten-year gilt yield rose more than 33 basis points in a day, over 69 over the week. And the FTSE 100 fell 2%. Well, uh, so did the DAX, actually, to be honest. And there were bigger losses elsewhere in Europe. So maybe equities suffering the least. The Eurostox 50, for example, uh, was down 2.3% on Friday. Uh, but on equities, uh, there is no good news anywhere last week. The ASX 200 was down 1.9% on Friday. Over the week, the Nasdaq lost 5%, the S&P 500 losing 4.6%. In fact, the ASX 200 did well to escape with just a 2.4% fall over the week, if you look at the rest of the world. The pound, of course, was struggling because of the mini budget, but all currencies are struggling against the mighty US dollar, which rose 3.1% last week on the DXY. On Friday, it reached 1132 which is the highest since 2002. Actually, whilst the pound suffered the most on Friday, the Swedish krona lost the most over the week, down almost 5.2%. Uh, down at the other end, the Japanese yen lost just 0.3%. And the Aussie, middle of the pack, losing 2.8% and finishing off at 65.3 US cents. And bond yields, they are pretty much up everywhere. Aussie 10-year futures rose 24 basis points on Friday, for example. Italian 10-year yields were up almost 31 basis points last week, whilst two- and five-year treasuries in the US were up around 34 basis points last week. And oil down quite a bit. WTI fell 5.7% on Friday. Brent was down 4.8%. Just about all commodities well down over the week. Copper and aluminium, for example, down almost 5% last week, but not much movement in iron ore, uh, perhaps uh, suffering because of uh, China's perpetual downturn. Well, you know, all of uh, 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 commodities obviously suffering from, uh, from a lack of demand. So that was last week. Ray Attrell joins me from NAB in Sydney. Maybe we should start in the UK, Quasi Quatang, his fiscal event in London. The markets clearly didn't like it. Larry Summers said on Bloomberg on Friday, the UK is behaving like an emerging market, turning itself into a submerging market. Ouch. Uh, and we've had this big hit on the pound. Is the pound going to recover anytime soon, do you think? Oh, morning, Phil. Well, not this morning. <laughs> the early quotes in the Sydney market, we actually got Wellington closed, so it's uh a bit of a scratchy start, but we've got mm. uh, the pound being quoted below 108 against the US dollar, um, having fallen to what 108.40 was the low that we saw last Friday, post 1985 uh, low, as uh, as you said, and down to what I call 3.6% on the day. So, you know, international markets at least have clearly taken absolute fright at particularly the funding implications of um, Mr. Kwarteng's budget, which um, essentially means that the excuse me the debt management office is going to have to issue another 62 billion uh, pounds so that's what about 100 billion Aussie dollars worth of gilts in the coming year bringing the total to what 193.9 billion on current estimates and uh, has also said that most of that 
should be concentrated at the shorter end of the gilts market. And that's why we saw that two-year gilt yield jump what, by 63 basis points on Friday alone to 3.8. Markets concluded that, um, you know, this is going to add to underlying inflation pressures and that the Bank of England um, is going to have to amp up its tightening cycle. So before Friday's mini-budget, markets were saying Bank of England um, you know, would stop off at 4.9%. That was the peak price into money markets. Um, following the budget, we're up to 5.5% already. So um, right. the prospect of more aggressive Bank of England is doing nothing to uh, alleviate uh, market concerns. As to, uh, and is that so all the- just a concern over too much debt? Is that is that what's happening here? Or is it the speed at which this debt is being issued? Because obviously there are places in Europe where the debt is much higher than it is in the UK, That's even, right. and, even uh, if you add all these mm-hmm. numbers. That's right. So if you look at uh, you know, the UK's uh, overall debt ratios um, compared to, say, the rest of G7, it actually compares quite favourably. Um, it's running at uh, just shy of 90% of GDP. But you know, it, it's, it's the fact that you've got a budget deficit that is ramping higher at a time when the UK economy is running a current account deficit um, in excess of 8% of GDP. I think that's what's really frightening the horses here. Um, and obviously, the you know, markets are already sort of starting to to chatter about the possibility of the UK getting downgraded by one or more of the ratings agencies. So they're all currently on um, all three of the main agencies have the UK on a stable footing at the moment. And even if they were to put them on a negative ratings watch, uh, it probably means it would be at least six months before they might decide on a, on a downgrade. So I think that's the story for next year rather than this year. But um, so it just adds to the uh, the febrile atmosphere for for all things UK for the time being. Right. But if the, if the government then says, which seems to be the case, I mean, they are, uh, Kuateng and uh, Liz Truss are, are both sort of, uh, you know, small government uh, advocates. So if they if they turn around and say, well, actually, it's not going to be that bad because we're going to cut government spending by a huge amount, are the markets going to like that? Or are they going to look and go, actually, well, that, <laughs> that's probably bad news for the British people. It means they have less money to spend. I mean, that really is a question about your politics, isn't it? Well, no, from, a, from an international financial market point of view, I think that would be seen uh, in a very positive light. But at, at the moment, mm-hmm. markets just aren't willing to give the benefit of the doubt to, uh, you know, to, to sort of radical spending cuts that might uh, alleviate some of their concerns about uh, about deficit financing. Now, that may well... Um, eventuate, um, but again, it's something that uh, you know we we'll at least have to wait until uh, until the, the, the mini budget or the full budget in November uh, before we see what uh, what the government has in mind on the uh, on the spending side. And obviously, you know, markets themselves, you know, have an enormous ability to dictate um, you know domestic policy from the point of view of uh, of what looks like a little bit of a, a mini sterling crisis in the making here. Right. Well, look, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll touch on that more during the week. I mean, there, there is the question. We haven't got time to talk about it as to whether it's actually going to work or not, because this really is almost like the Laffer principle, isn't it? If you uh, lower tax, that's going to create growth, that's going to create jobs, that's going to bring in more tax, which is curious because I thought, you know, we had very low unemployment. And uh, and obviously, we've got, the, we've got the Bank of England at the same time trying to stop growth. So lots of reasons why it's a strange thing to do at this time. But anyway, well, look, that's the UK government possibly going a bit crazy. As I said, it depends on your politics. Is Italy going to join them? Uh, Perhaps we'll know in a matter of hours uh, who's won their election. Georgia Maloney, who's the ultra-conservative, who had less than 5% of the vote in the 2018 elections, uh, she might do quite well. We could see a lurch to the right. Well, we almost certainly will. Maybe she will somehow be able to form government. I mean, she's got the backing of uh, Silvio Berlusconi uh, and some, uh, you know, some other uh, blasts from the past. Uh, what what will that mean? What could that do? To, how will the market react if we see, a, a, a not a surprise, but if she has a convincing position at the end of tonight? 
Well, I think markets are already assuming that, um, you know, Giorgia Maloney is going to be the next prime minister. Um, the immediate focus will be, you know, having seen the results, will be, you know, can we be confident that she will actually be able to form uh, a working government that is going to be relatively stable, given that that is not Italy's post-war history when it comes mm. to governments. <clears throat> um, but the two two areas of focus, one will be you know, going into the election. Maloney was seemed to be very resolute in their support for the West as far as uh, antipathy to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So we want to see that repeated. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, are the conditions that have already been agreed for Italy to receive, you know, its share, and it's a very big share of the next gen EU recovery fund, you know, is she still committed to the conditionality um, and the kind of reforms that are necessary in order for the, her to receive those uh, those funds. So uh, assurances on, on both of those scores, you know, I think will uh, will prevent any sort of adverse market reaction at this stage, at least. And uh, Silvio Berlusconi, who increasingly looks like a man wearing a Silvio Berlusconi mask, doesn't he? With a, that, that, that fixed grin. I, don't, I wonder whether he's still around or whether it's someone else, an imposter who has now just taken the mask and stuck it on rather unconvincingly. But Berlusconi, uh, I mean, you know, he, he has Putin attachments. He's backing her. Giorgio Maloney said... Uh, no, no, no. You know, I'm all for us fighting uh, against Russia, for, you know, uh, uh, on the side of Ukraine. So got to be some reassurance on that, I guess, unless uh, Berlusconi has more say than uh, she's letting on. Well, again, so that's going to be, you know, she, she really needs to show that, uh, you know, she, she can lead even with, with Berlusconi's party in the fold and that uh, mm. it is really going to be sort of her way or the highway when it comes to uh you know, both political as well as uh, economic policy prescriptions. Yeah, let's hope uh, Putin's not around for lunch on Monday. Uh, so let, let's look at some hard numbers. There were many of them, were there? PMIs on Friday in Europe, in a nutshell, down for both services and manufacturing, both falling below 50, so a stronger contraction. The UK services down a little, actually falling below 50. They were managing to just hold up a little. Manufacturing still below 50 but up from 47 to 48.5. Whichever way you look at it, UK and Europe not looking good. But the U, U, US services uh, has picked up a little, still in contraction mode, and manufacturing up a little, uh, over 50, uh, 51.8, so actually expanding. So we are still seeing that divide, aren't we, between the US and, uh, and Europe and the UK? So certainly that, that seems to be the case anyway. So, uh, I mean, in absolute terms, the US ones weren't... Uh you know, weren't great if we cover both manufacturing and services. And, you know, and of course, you know, markets don't uh, regard those US ones with, with nearly the same credibility as they do the ISMs that we'll get in a couple of weeks time. Um, but there is that still compare and contrast. And um, I'll, I'll borrow Tapas Strickland's favourite uh, favorite expression that the US still looks like the least dirty shirt in the laundry when it comes to relative economic performance, at least. So uh, mm. certainly nothing here to suggest that there might be any sort of tilting in the uh, the axis of, of global growth you know, away from the United States. In, in fact, if anything, the opposite. And we'll get China PMI numbers later this week, and I think they'll, they'll corroborate that story that uh, China, for one, is still in... Uh, a very very slow growth uh, phase at best, at least. So uh, yeah, but I think in all everything else that was going on, particularly in the UK, those those PMIs that might have 
have had uh, more of a market reaction on another day were, were summarily ignored. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't even need to look at those numbers to actually know demand is falling. I mean, just look at commodity prices last week. I mean, they're, they're, they're surely as a sign uh, that weakness is happening, that, that we, we are now seeing demand destruction. Well, two things, really. I mean, there certainly is that, and, and no more evident, I think, than in the oil, oil price, which lost, what, 5.7% mm. for WTI crude on Friday, not 7.5% on the week. Um, but also remember that we've got a, a rampant dollar and uh, one of the, you know, the conundrums that, that, that we've been dealing with in FX research for the last year is, you know, commodity prices strong, but Aussie dollar weak, discuss. Um, and to some extent, it's been that we've had strong commodity prices and a strong dollar was now that sort of relationship where dollar strength is itself causing some demand destruction amongst you know, purchases of oil who are having to pay in euros or pounds, for example, or anything other than US dollars is costing them even more. So it is having some um, negative impact on demand, but as well as you say, just the, you know, the, the sentiment that uh, you know demand is going to be weaker going forward. So uh, yes, some mm. really big moves. And uh, although coal and iron ore, incidentally, um, you know, fared relatively well, they were only down by very small amounts last week. So obviously they're two of Australia's biggest commodity exports. So on a relative basis, there wasn't a, a, an unequivocally bad uh, news story from uh, Australia's perspective. Yeah, but generally, I mean, around the world, it's all pretty grim. And do you remember when we talked about a V-shaped recovery? <laughs> do you remember how optimistic we all were then? And then we talked about W-shaped economy. Perhaps now uh-huh. we've got a VW. We added an extra V on the end of the W, I think. So uh, amongst all of this, how are investors protecting themselves? I mean, if there's, you know, for example, you know, the question mark over uh, equities, how are equity investors protecting themselves? Because they don't know whether we're going to see a further decline or not. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we are in times of very high risk, aren't we? Well, we are. But uh, as I say, the Weekend Financial Times did a lead, run their lead story on the weekend. It's titled Investors Pile Into Insurance Against Further Market Sell-Offs. Notes in the last four weeks, um, you know, money managers have spent something like 34 billion US dollars um, effectively purchasing put options, which provide protection uh, against a fall in, uh, in, in stock markets. So uh, uh, the answer is that, um, you know, some of the big guns are fearful of uh, a further weakness in equities and uh, are putting in place insurance contracts to. Uh, to soften the impact. Now, explain to me very quickly, because we are running out of time, but that intervention by the Bank of Japan uh, last week, because obviously that we saw the weakening yen, um, that had an influence on the US yield curve last week. Can you explain how that happened? Well, it, uh, whether it's actually happened yet in terms of Japan actually selling US treasuries, but the, the train of logic was that, well, if uh, Ministry of Finance, um, you know, which controls the, uh, which orders the Bank of England, uh, sorry, the, the Bank of Japan to intervene, um, the assumption in markets is that well, if you're going to intervene to, to, uh, to try and strengthen the currency, you know, when your monetary policy is running in the, exactly the opposite direction, you're going to have to be in this for the long haul and you're going to have to intervene in size. And so the presumption is in order to give themselves the US dollars to sell in the foreign exchange market, they're going to have to sell some of their US dollar denominated foreign exchange assets, uh, most of which are in US treasuries. Japan is the world's largest sort of yeah. external oil of treasuries. So that the logic was simply Japan's going to be coming to market as a, as a seller of treasuries. And that's why we saw that big move up actually last Thursday uh, in the evening following that Bank of Japan intervention. And uh, so Japan was off on Friday, so no follow through. So uh, right. you know, if we do see uh, further intervention coming through, then I think that will that will play to that view that um, 
is going to put some additional upward pressure on Treasury yields. Right. Now, that makes perfect sense. Good. Thank you. Uh, we uh, had a German IFO today. We also get the OECD's interim economic outlook, uh, presumably with its uh, growth forecast all revised down. And I guess the other, uh, you might want to comment on those. I'm, I don't know. But of course, the other big news this week is going to be what happens in Ukraine, because uh, we'll get the results in from those referendums. I'm not a betting man, but I suspect, you know, just about everybody in those regions is going to say that they want to be Russian. Uh, and we could see an escalation in that conflict this week, couldn't we? The question is, has Russia got the resources? I mean, people are queuing to get out of the country. Uh, we know he's losing popularity internally. So, you know, I guess the big fear is that he does something irrational, which could obviously make everything we've discussed today completely irrelevant. Absolutely. And that's that, that, that's that sort of unquantifiable tail risk that, that, that markets are very, very bad at pricing. And uh, you know, unfortunately, mm. there, there is a scenario there where we'll have... Uh, Bigger things to worry about than financial markets, but um, well, yeah. yes, but but certainly, um, yeah, the results of that. I, I, suspect, I think the voting ended on Tuesday, and uh, and you hear reports of uh, soldiers with machine guns handing out ballot papers and asking for them to be filled in straight away. I know which way I'd be uh, I'd be voting. Um, so yeah, so that's a foregone conclusion. Obviously, it is a sham referendum, but uh, will still be a focus of of markets certainly. Um, so German IFA, I think, is going to be weak. So the OECD's economic outlook i don't think they'll be revising their growth forecasts upwards for sure and, uh, <laughs> no. and then we've got a few inflation numbers we get the latest inflation numbers from the eurozone we're going to get the pce deflators from the us later in the week uh, and then down here it's uh, retail sales job vacancies we're also going to get the first of these um, experimental monthly cpi indicators for uh, july and august they're coming out on thursday so they'll certainly be a a keen local point of interest. Right. Very good. Okay. Have to leave it there for now. We have talked long enough. Uh, good to talk, Ray, though. And uh, we'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. Well done. Thanks, Phil. And so we start another week on the morning call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow. See you then.